Judges chapter 6, starting in verse 25. Just a little recap. At the beginning of Judges chapter 6, we were introduced to the problem. The problem this time for the Israelites is the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people from the east all kind of teaming up together. They've come in. They've made things really hard for the Israelites. They've been oppressed by these Midianites for seven years now. Uh, They can't even grow any crops. Things are really bad. They're living in the caves. And God has called a man by the name of Gideon to be their deliverer. Now, when God appeared to Gideon, uh, the angel of the Lord came to him and said, Look, I want you to go and I want you to, to, to be a mighty warrior. And Gideon come and made all these excuses as to why he couldn't do it. Oh, I'm from the tribe of Manasseh. My family's weak. I'm the youngest of the weakest family in the tribe of Manasseh. I'm not able to stand up. How can I deliver Israel? And he asked God all these questions. God, if you're so good, I've heard the stories of the past. If you're so good and you're you're with us, then why are all these things happening? And God didn't even answer his question as to why he asked why. He just said, go. And then he proceeded to come up with all these excuses. And God said, but I will be with you. No matter what Gideon, uh, no matter how weak he was, no matter where he come from, no matter how bad things were, God said, don't worry about it. It does not matter how big the enemy is. He said, you will defeat the Midianites as great as they are, like they are one man. And God said, I will be with you. Now, that's a good reminder for us because God will be with us. We might like to make excuses when we're up against hard situations things that don't look like we can overcome them, things that just look too scary for us, things that we are worried about. And we may find ourselves saying, God, why don't you do something? God, do you care? God, are you listening? And God usually doesn't answer those questions that we ask. God, why is this happening or why is that happening? But oftentimes he tells us the same thing that he told Gideon. I will be with you. We don't know why things happen, but we know that whatever's happening, God's going to be with us. And so that's kind of what we saw at the beginning of chapter 6 as we were introduced to the problem, the Midianites, and the deliverer who was going to be Gideon. And so tonight we read a little further about Gideon and what's taking place there uh, in, in the land. So let's pray and then we'll dig in. Father God, we come to you tonight and I pray that you help me to preach and teach your word in a way that's going to help us, dear Lord, that we get something from it. Dear Lord, that we learn from, from what's being said, from what's going on in Gideon's life, from what's going on in the life of the people uh, in Canaan, dear Lord, or, or the promised land, dear Lord, the, the ones that are turning into Canaanites, I should say, dear Lord. And I pray that you just would help us to learn from them, dear Lord, that we would see our own problems in our life, dear Lord. We'd see those mistakes and we would not fall into the same error. And I pray, God, that you just... Uh, Give me the words to speak and help me to speak uh, through you tonight, dear Lord, and for you, for your glory. In Jesus' name I ask it. Amen. Amen. Judges chapter 6, verse 25. On that very night, the Lord said to him, Take your father's young bull and a second bull, seven years old. Then tear down the altar of Baal that belongs to your father, and cut down the Asherah poles beside it. Build a well-constructed altar to the Lord, your God, on top of this rock. Take the second bull and offer it as a burnt offering with the wood of the Asherah pole you cut down. Now, 
Here we see what's about to take place here. God has called Gideon to be the, the, the most recent deliverer. We've already seen some of the judges, the deliverers that Israel's had. And now it's Gideon whose God is called. So now Gideon is supposed to go and he's, he's beginning this stand against the Midianites. He's beginning to start the process of deliverance. Now, God had already appeared to him and he finally convinced Gideon that, okay, it really was God that was sending him. And so Gideon offered a sacrifice to the Lord and the verses right before this. And it says, and on that very night, the same day that all these things occurred, it said that the Lord said to him, take your father's young bull and a second bull seven years old. He was to take these bulls and he was to tear down the altar and he was to sacrifice the bull that was seven years old. He was to cut down the Asherah pole and he was to use that to be the wood for the burnt offering. Now, there's a couple things that we see here. One is, uh, you will notice when you read the scripture sometimes that when it says the word Lord, sometimes you will notice that it's in all capital letters or sometimes small capital letters. When you see that in your Bible, whenever you see the word Lord written in small capital letters, uh, that is Yahweh. Uh, that's just how the translators interpreted it and translated it. So whenever we see it uh, spelt that way, that's Yahweh. Sometimes we'll see Lord with a capital L uh, and, and all lowercase O-R-D, uh, and that is the, the uh, name Adonai that we see in the scriptures is another name for God. Uh, and there are other names that we see for God, and they're all spelt different ways. But here in this passage, we see the word Lord, and it's written in all caps. And we see that a lot in our scriptures. And so when you see those things in, in the scriptures, if you ever notice that and wonder why the Lord was in all caps, that's just the reason why. Whenever you see that, that's the Hebrew word Yahweh there, and it's translated as Lord in all caps. That's not of any real significance to the story, but something that may, uh, you may find interesting and helpful to you. So he's to take this young bull, and he's to take another bull that's seven years old. Now, when it comes to the bulls, this is kind of an interesting thing for us to consider because it never tells us anything else about the first bull. We know the second bull that was seven years old was to be sacrificed, but there's never another mention of the other bull. Now, there's a couple of ways that we can think about this or interpret it or look at it. Now, there are many scholars that I've read, many different commentaries that would say, well, in the Hebrew language, the phraseology and the words that are used there, it may not actually be two bulls. It may just be one bull that it's, that it's talking about here. But because of the difficulties of language, it could be two or it could just be one. Now, that is one possibility. Uh, and some people say that's why the first bull is never mentioned and only the second bull is focused on because it's only supposed to be one bull there. Although most of our translations that we see and our manuscripts say that it's two bulls. Now, I don't think it's, it's hard for us to uh, come up with a good conclusion as to why the first bull is not mentioned. Now, uh, some would say, well, it has to be one bull. If the one bull is missing, then there's a contradiction here. Something's left out. Well, I think that's taking things a little too extreme. Now, whether it's one bull or two, that really has no effect on the outcome of the story. But I believe it's quite simple as to what happened to the first bull and why it's not mentioned. And I think the scripture tells us the reason for the first bull or the reason for both bulls should there have been two. It says that he wants him to get two bulls, the young bull and then a seven-year-old bull. And it says, then tear down the altar of Baal. Now, it would appear to me that these bulls were probably used in the tearing down process. Now, that's what I'm assuming. That could be a wrong assumption. But it seems to me if they're tearing down this altar that a bull or two bulls would be good to be used for that. 
And so that may be one explanation, at least that's the best one I could come up with in my mind, that both bulls were used to tear down these altars and the first bull was not mentioned anymore because the first bull's job was complete. Once Gideon went and tore down the altars uh, with the strength of both bulls, only the second bull is mentioned because it's the one that is to be sacrificed. So Gideon's doing exactly what the Lord called him to do here, or, or, or the Lord is telling him what to do here, and Gideon is going to do that. And so he's to take this second bull, the seven years old, and he is to offer it as a offering to the Lord. Now, there may or may not be any significance to the fact that this bull is seven years old, although I'll, I'll admit I really don't know what the meaning of that is because the text just doesn't tell us. It could be that that's just what the Lord wanted him to do, and we don't know the reason. Uh, one possibility, the only other real time that we see seven years mentioned in this story is the length of time that the Israelites were in captivity to the Midianites. Perhaps that was symbolic. Perhaps uh, the Lord sacrificing the seven-year-old bull, or should I say Gideon sacrificing the seven-year-old bull to the Lord, perhaps that was symbolic language, that for seven years the people had been under captivity of the Midianites and, and Baal worship, and this, this, this burnt offering that was about to be uh, offered up by Gideon was a symbolic thing showing, look, these seven years are up. The time of your captivity or your oppression uh, by the Midianites is coming to an end. That's one possibility, although it's hard to know for sure if that's the correct possibility or not, but that's at least something to consider. So God gives him these instructions to tear down this altar and to cut down an Asherah pole. Now, there were many altars uh, all throughout the land that we see throughout the scriptures uh, because the people worshiped Baal. Now, Baal was a false god. It was not a real god whatsoever, but uh, lots of the people of, of that surrounding land worshiped the god of Baal. Now, they all kind of attributed different things to Baal. Some of them worshiped Baal because he was a god of this, and some because he was a god of that, and they all kind of viewed Baal a little differently, but when we see Baal mentioned, it's simply a false god that was in that area that the people of that land worshiped. Now, that's why God told his people, don't put any other gods before me. He warned them explicitly. He told them, don't, don't worship these other gods. But they had refused to listen to what God had to say. So we see an altar there for worship or offering sacrifice to Baal. We also see the mention of Asherah poles. Now that's something we see quite often in the Old Testament as well. And these two things would sometimes, if not all the time, be beside each other. Now an Asherah pole was a, was a female goddess, somebody that they, that they prayed to and somebody else that they worshipped. And the two of them together, Baal and Asherah, were two, uh, two gods that the people of the land worshipped. And so you would see these altars to Baal or these Asherah poles all throughout the land. Now, the Israelites should have never given in and worshipped these false gods if they would have listened to the Lord. But because they did, these other gods are, are kind of running rampant through the lands. And so God is telling Gideon, all right, it's time to start. I called you to be a mighty warrior. I called you to be a deliverer for the people. And now it's time to start. So he tells Gideon what to do. And in verse 27... So Gideon took ten of his male servants and did as the Lord had told him. But because he was too afraid of his father's household and the men of the city to do it in the daytime, he did it at night. 
So here we see Gideon doing exactly what the Lord told him to do. Now, it says that Gideon's afraid. He goes ahead and does it that night as the Lord reveals it to him because he's afraid of what's going to take place. He knows the outcome that is about to ensue when he goes and rips down the altar and cuts down the pole of these false gods. And so because he's afraid of the people, he goes and does this at night. Now, some may look at this, and we may could look at this and say, well, this is kind of a negative on Gideon's part. Gideon should have been saying, all right, Lord, I got faith in you. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to do what you say, and it doesn't matter day or night, I'm going to get it done. Uh, some would say that that's what Gideon should have done, and the fact that he was afraid, and, and it seemed like maybe his motives were not to do it quickly because he wanted to please the Lord, but to do it quickly because he was afraid of the people. Now, it appears as though he did want to please the Lord, uh, but the fact that he was afraid of the people, I don't know that we should give uh, Gideon too hard a time about that. Maybe there was a little bit of wisdom in there. Maybe he realized that if he waited till daylight, it would be much more difficult to pull this task off with other people coming in. But regardless, Gideon did what the Lord wanted him to do. Now, some people would say, even in our lives, well, if you're not all in it or your motives aren't right, you shouldn't even do it. Well, maybe that's the case, but I'm not so sure. Even if our heart's not right and we force ourselves to do the right thing, now I'm not saying fake the right thing, but I'm saying force yourself to do things that maybe you don't really want to do, or maybe you are driven by fear, or maybe you are driven by motives that maybe aren't the motives that you should have. But if you do what the Lord is leading you to do, I think that's always a good thing. Now, maybe in, maybe Gideon shouldn't have been afraid of the enemies here. Maybe he should have just said, Lord, I'm ready to do this because you called me to do it. But the text says that he did it quickly at night because he was afraid of the people. Uh, and so here the story is set. Gideon is proceeding to do what the Lord has told him to do in verse 28. When the men of the city got up in the morning, they found Baal's altar torn down, and the Asherah pole beside it cut down, and the second bull offered up on the altar that had been built. They said to each other, Who did this? After they made a thorough investigation, they said, Gideon, son of Joash, did this. Then the men of the city said to Joash, Bring out your son. He must die, because he tore down Baal's altar and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. Now the people reacted just as Gideon knew that they would react. They were irate at what had taken place. Uh, they, were, they were furious at what had taken place. And so they have to figure out who did this. Who did this horrible thing to destroy the altar of our God, to cut down the Asherah pole of our God? Who did this? And after an investigation took place, they discovered that it was Gideon, the son of Joash. And so now they want justice to be served, or at least what they think is justice. They think, all right, well, Gideon's done this thing. He deserves to die. Now, I find it interesting and maybe even ironic at how zealous these people were for Baal. They were very zealous for their God. They were standing up. They were defending their God. They did not want things... Uh, to be done or said about their God. They were, they were ready to stand up and fight for their God. But it seems as though that's the same kind of zeal they should have had for the Lord. If they would have had the same zeal for the Lord that had delivered them out of Egypt and brought them into the promised land, they would have never gotten in this situation. 
Isn't it ironic that, that the, the very thing that God called them to do, the very one who delivered them and took care of them, what he called them to do first and foremost in the Ten Commandments, to worship him and him alone and not turn to, to the other gods, well, they had that zeal that he wanted them to have, just for the wrong God. They were standing up and they were ready to fight for Baal, but they were so quick to turn from the Lord. So this kind of tells us the heart of the people. It kind of tells us what was going on. It tells us just how bad that the things in the land had gotten. They had completely turned on God. They had completely turned to this false God, and they were zealous for Baal, and they were just, uh, they were, they were, they were, enraged at what had taken place because the altar and the pole of their gods had failed. Now Joash speaks up in the next verse in verse 31. But Joash said to all who stood against him, Would you plead Baal's case for him? Would you save him? Whoever pleads his case will be put to death by morning. If he is a god, let him plead his own case because someone tore down his altar. That day... Gideon's father called him Jeroboam, saying, Let Baal plead his case with him, because he tore down his altar. Now, it's kind of interesting here that Joash kind of comes to the defense of Gideon and really seems like he's not... He's not really all in on Baal. I say it's interesting because at the beginning of the passage, the, the altar and the pole that Gideon was supposed to destroy, where was it located? Well, it said that it was, it was Joash's altar and Joash's pole at the very beginning of the passage. And so the fact that this altar and this pole was uh, named and considered to be Joash's lead me to believe that at least in some way, shape, or form, Joash had kind of bought into Baal worship. Now, maybe Joash had kind of realized, hey, I'm on the wrong path. Maybe through these events that had took place with Gideon, maybe that got the, the, the gears turning. Maybe he was never really all in on Baal, uh, and maybe this event uh, had really got his attention. Maybe he was just trying to defend his son here and keep his son from uh, being jailed, but uh, or, or killed, I should say, excuse me. But based on his response here and the things he says uh, about Baal, it leads me to believe that he's, his faith is not really too strong in Baal because he said, look, you guys are all here pleading Baal's case. Baal is a god. Why, why is it your job to come and to plead his case? Why is it your job to put someone to death? Why is it your job to bring punishment on the one who did this? If Baal is a god, if he's powerful, if he's in control and he's in power, it's his altar that was destroyed. Let Baal act. Let him do a mighty work. Let him bring destruction on the one who did this. Well, guess what? Baal didn't do that. Now, this is kind of reminiscent of the story of Elijah in uh, 1 Kings where he's up against the 450 prophets of Baal. And what did they do? They called out to Baal all day. They called out to him. They cut themselves, they hoot and holler and all this other stuff. And they called and they called and they called to Baal. But guess what? Baal never answered. But as soon as Elijah called to the Lord, bam, instantly the Lord answered and fire came down and the offering was burnt up just like that. Now, it's no surprise here to us that Baal didn't answer because we know that Baal is nothing. Uh, the people of this time in this land obviously didn't realize that. 
They didn't realize it at the time of kings either when Elijah came about. And so people kind of kind of missed the picture here. They kept getting pulled into this fake God, this thing that was pulling them away from the Lord, this thing that was going to lead to their destruction, and they just kept calling out to this God. They kept worshiping this God that could do them no good. Now, that's pretty interesting for me to think about because here they had Yahweh, they had God, the God of Israel, the only true God, who had done all of these miracles, who had delivered them into the promised land, who had delivered their enemies over to them and had given them a land flowing with milk and honey and would have been there to take care of and protect them. And through all of that, they quickly turned on him and they turned to Baal, a God who they had to, uh, who had no power whatsoever, a God who they had to defend, a God who they had to stand up for. Now, they could have had a God who was going to stand up for them, but instead they chose a God that they had to fight for. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't want a God that I have to fight for my God. I want a God who's going to fight for me. And the people who were Baal worshipers, they had a God who could do nothing for them. It was a God who could not hear, a God who could not see, a God who could not act on their behalf. And even though Baal had done nothing for them, they were continuing to live in their sinful ways and devote their times and their energies and their worships to Baal. They were fighting for a God when all the while they needed to be turning to a God who would fight for them. And Gideon's father-in-law stood up and said, all right, if Baal is so good, let him speak up. Let him take action. But Baal didn't take any action. You know, we hear this story and we may say, boy, how could those people be so stupid? But we may could take a second and look at our own life and we may could find areas in our own life where we have done some things that may not seem much better than that. There may be things in our life that we are clinging to things that we are doing, that we continue to do, things that seem good to us, but things that are really leading to bad things in our life. That's exactly what was happening with the Israelites. They had abandoned what was good in God, and they had turned to what was bad in Baal. They could have been in good shape had they have continued to seek the Lord, but instead they had turned their back on the Lord, and they found themselves in a mess. And sometimes as Christians, you and I may not be so different. There may be things that we do that are, just as, that are just as ridiculous, things that we are trying to find comfort and satisfaction and joy and deliverance in, but those things are not going to give us any deliverance. We are fighting for things of this world. We are very zealous for things of this world, but things that at the end of the day will leave us broken and leave us ashamed and leave us just, just wanting for something more. But if we seek the Lord, we won't find ourselves in those situations. Israel didn't have to be in the situation that it was in, nor do you and I. Because when we really seek the Lord and we are zealous for the Lord and we call out to Him and we, we say, Lord, fight for us. Lord, be on our side. God, we want to be on your side. We want to do what's right by you. Then when we do that, we will experience good in our life. When we don't do that, we will experience the same thing that the Israelites experienced. Now, praise the Lord, he is faithful to us. Praise the Lord that he put up with the Israelites. I can't imagine why he was so patient. We've seen them do horrible things repeatedly, time and time again, throughout the first six chapters of this book, and we got a long way to go. And even through all of these things, God continues to hear their cries. He continues to send a deliverer for them. 
Now, in the case of the Israelites, there had to be one deliverer that came, one after another after another. There had to be one deliverer that would rise up for the people, and that that deliverer would leave, and then the people would sin again, and then another deliverer would come. But praise the Lord for you and I that we have a deliverer that God has raised up on our behalf, and he has come once and for all, and he is eternal. He is always fighting for us, and that is Jesus Christ. He's the Redeemer. He's the Deliverer. And where all of these judges in the book of Judges failed because they could only lead for a little while, they could only be there for the people for a little while, and eventually they were going to die, when it comes to Jesus Christ, He is always there. He is there for the long haul. He is there to get us out of our troubles when we call out to Him and say, Lord, I have really blown it. I have really sinned. I have really done things and thought things and said things that I don't want to do, dear Lord God. Forgive me and deliver me from this. There are things that we fight against and we need to be delivered and it's only through Jesus Christ that we can be delivered of the things in our life that we struggle with, the worries that we have, the things that we fear. It's the Lord who gets us through those things. And the Israelites missed that. It was the Lord who brought them to the place that they were, but they turned from the Lord to other things. And sometimes we do the same thing. It's the Lord that saved our soul if we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. It's the Lord who has brought us peace. It's the Lord who has brought us joy. And we may say, well, why did the Israelites turn from Him? It's so simple. Why did they turn from Him? Well, I don't know. I don't know why they turned from Him. I'll answer that question with another question. Why do we gossip? Why do we lie? Why do we steal? Why do we keep sinning and doing things that we shouldn't do? Why do we put God on the back burner? Well, that's probably the same reasons why they did it. If we can come up with an answer to why we do it, then we could probably come up with an answer to why they did it. They didn't trust the Lord. They didn't listen to the Lord. They weren't obedient to the Lord. And they got pulled astray by things of the world. And the same temptations are there for you and I. Those same things of the world, those same sins are there for us. And when we get off track, it's good to know that we have a Savior in Jesus Christ who is there to forgive us. And if we seek Him and be obedient to Him, He will get us back on track. Just as God sent a deliverer for the Israelites, so He sent a deliverer for us in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father God, we come to You tonight and I thank You for these words. And I pray that You help us to learn from them and live by them, dear Lord. Uh, God, I, I pray that You would help us to... to, to See Gideon and, and how he was a mighty warrior for you, dear Lord, through this story. But more importantly, let that point to Jesus Christ for us, dear Lord, to know that we have a deliverer that's better than Gideon could ever be, dear Lord. God, we have enemies that may seem as big and strong as the Midianites. But dear Lord, no matter how big our situations and our struggles and our trials and our sins are, dear Lord God, I pray that we remember those words you told Gideon, but I will be with you. God, you will be with us, and I pray that you help us not to forget that. God, I pray that you help us not to be zealous for things of the world, not to be zealous for sin, but God, to be zealous for you. God, help us to be on fire for you and to know the good that you do for us. God, any good that's in our life, it comes from you. Every blessing we have, dear Lord, it comes from you. And God, we thank you for that, and I pray that you help us never to forget that. And I pray that you, we give you the glory for all that, that you do in our lives, and we thank you for it. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.